Hey, it's me, your favorite neighborhood lesbian, just dropping by to let you know that today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by you, the patrons on Patreon, and anybody else supporting this podcast. If you're not a patron, you can become one for as little as $3 a month and get early access to episodes and vlogs that I drop. You can also be involved in exclusive live streams for patrons only and many other giveaways that I'm in the process of planning on doing. So if you want to become a patron, click the link in the description below and uh, help support this podcast and the show. And to all the current patrons, thank you so much for the support. I love you all very much. I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, we're recording now. Yeah, we're recording. Okay. Hello. Today I have Jane Epstein on the podcast. And um, your story is very interesting. I was introduced to you uh, through Suzanne Izaza. And um, you have a blog, right? Yes. It's the complicated, what is it? The complicated, complicated courage. Courage. The complicated courage. Um, and I was stalking you just now before uh, the podcast, kind of going through the website. I'm going to link it below, by the way. Um, but your story, I remember when we first, you first reached out, um, you had me read your story. And I, was, I read it to one of my friends. And she was like, holy shit. By the way, I curse. I hope that doesn't bother you. <laughs> I do too. I okay. try not to too much, but it right. comes out. <laughs> <laughs> right. my, my kids. Same, same. Well, I don't have kids, but same. <laughs> um, Sometimes it just fits. Right. Sometimes you just got to give a holy shit. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It just happens. Uh, but I read your story and yours is, it's of, you know, sexual, would you say sexual assault? Is that what you would categorize it as? I would, it is sexual abuse um, from child on child from an older sibling. So it is, it is considered incest and that incest is a hard word for me to say. It is. It is. A, okay. So me and Suzanne. No, but I say it. Yeah. Touched on that, that it's a yes. word. Um, okay. So I guess before we even get into however many questions that are brewing in my brain right now, <laughs> um, if you, if you want, just go through the, you know, I guess your starting point of your story. Wow. Uh, as I discussed uh, beforehand, I have so many starting points and so many little rabbit holes on my story. I think <laughs> I'm not unique in that regard. I think we all have these little veins that we can go down. And I guess the easiest way to describe it is my life started out of order. So I was constantly out of order in my whole life. And now looking back on it, now when I'm 52, I can go back and reflect on it and say, put it back in order and say, Okay, now I understand. Right. So it all started when I was six. I was six and I had an older sibling and my older sibling was 12. So six years difference. Okay. And they became curious and they touched me improperly. I have snippets of memories of things that occurred for six years for on and off for six years. Holy shit. Okay. And yeah. And his body reacted the way his body was biologically engineered to react as did mine. So at age six, age eight, I knew way too much about sex than eight year old should. There was not any intercourse. I do want to, I do want to make that clear. However, there was very, there was improper touching and my body reacted and my body liked the touch and my body liked the attention. So I became, in my mind, a willing participant. Okay. Now, my older sibling at the time didn't understand the damage that they were causing, and I didn't either. So, you know, he goes to college, I go on with my life, and I become promiscuous, and I become very dependent on male attention to feel affirmed and to feel pretty and to cover the shame. He comes back from college, he has a child, and he pulls me aside, and he says, I'm sorry for what I did. Wow. Okay. Um, big, big. And at the time I said to him, I said, it's okay. I participated. That was all I could handle. And I put it nice and neatly back into its little box and brushed it aside. Right. Meanwhile, I had become a topless dancer, which is pretty standard for sexual abuse victims. I became a stripper and that's a whole nother story. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I ended up meeting someone. Yeah, part two, three, four, I'm not sure. (laughs) And I was on the stage. So I'm trying to give you the snippet and then we can ask questions. But I was on stage and a gentleman did approach me and I'd been eyeballing him for weeks. And he finally came up and approached me and said something to me. He said, what are you doing here? You look like the kind of girl I take home to meet my mom. And I said, please don't leave because you always tip me and leave. Please don't leave. And he said, okay, I'll stay for a few minutes. And I raced to the back and brushed my hair, came back out and sat on a little pool, a little bar stool. And I just looked at him and I knew I was in love and I knew I was going to marry him. This and is Mark, right? That's this is Mark. Yes, it does get confusing. So that's Mark. Okay. I did marry Mark and it was not a perfect marriage. We had our ups and downs, but he rescued me. I rescued him and I loved him with every bone of my body. He's the first person that really, truly loved me. Meanwhile, the sexual abuse is still buried in its nice little box. Oh, so we still haven't visited this. We have not. Okay. No. Um, So then Mark and I get married. We're married for about six years. And then he gets diagnosed with esophageal cancer. My God. And... That was a, a, that was a whole beautiful experience in itself. I was able to be with him and take care of him. I really learned to start trusting God and I was with him when he died. That's a whole other rabbit hole. Uh, That's a whole nother like level of trauma too, I feel on top of whatever. Yeah, I get, you know, I guess based on the other traumas, it is a trauma. And I think the part of the reason it was such a big trauma is because he filled such a huge gap in my life. He was a father figure. He he filled all the male roles in my life. And he was a friend, a lover, a husband, a teacher. He taught me how to dress. He taught me how to study. He taught me so many things. And so when he died, I lost a lot. So I was a widow at age 34. And then I started dating and that was a whole new world (laughs) (laughs) because I hadn't dated for 12 years. And um, that's when I met, I call him my current husband. He hates being called the current husband, but he's the current husband. I plan on keeping him, but he is the current husband. (laughs) You should call him him future husband. Maybe he'll like that too. Future husband. Maybe I'll call him future husband. Current and future. I don't know. Current and future. His name is Steve. Steve. Okay. Steve. So Steve meets me, knows I'm a widow and thinks, okay, everything's all wrapped up in this nice little package. Great. Let's get married. Let's have kids. Great. We get married. We have kids. I sink into a depression. I did not know it. And he was working a stressful job. I'm depressed. And so we were just at each other and it was tough. We had two children a year and a week apart. So two babies, two stressed out parents. I'm depressed. I'm angry. Then some trigger triggering memories started happening. I didn't know what they were at the time. They came to the surface kind of. Yeah. Certain things just came to the surface. We went out to dinner with friends and someone said something and we were all laughing. And then I quit laughing. I thought, wait, something isn't right here. There's, there's a memory coming to me. Did that, so they, has that ever, did that prior to that, did that ever happen before that? There was one situation when I was living with Mark, the first husband, that there was a show on Oprah and she talked about childhood sexual abuse. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's terrible. I can't believe that happened to someone. And then I thought, wait, that happened to me. Right. And I really, I really thought that I had dealt with it. I thought, okay, it was a sibling. It wasn't that big of a deal. I've dealt with it. It's done. The reason I'm angry and depressed is because I lost my first husband and my new marriage is struggling. Right. I really put it in a box and then something happened with my current husband, Steve in the bedroom. And I just was overflown with, with this, this, this image and anger. And I woke up the next morning, just angry. And that memory has never gone back in the box. Oh, wow. That, Okay, so something happened intimately that triggered something from your childhood. Yes. And so when you say it never went back in the box, the memory of the intimate moment with your husband or the or the memory from childhood or both? Both. Okay. I would say both. It it opened Pandora's box and it 
couldn't be closed. Got it. Okay. To this point, I had not told Steve about my sexual abuse. Um, I told him I'm angry. I'm depressed. We need therapy. And I, I went into therapy. It's your fault. Fix him. Right, <laughs> this right, isn't right. my issue. <laughs> and the therapist was like, your anger just doesn't match what's going on here. What, what else is going on here? And so I made a one-on-one appointment with the therapist and I told him, I said, well, I was sexually abused. I mean, I don't know. And he said, you didn't tell us that. I said, (laughs) well, no, I've dealt with that. And so we had to dive deeper and just I had to dig deeper and I had to tell my current husband about it. And he was incredibly supportive and I got on antidepressants. I got therapy and that's when the process started really happening, but I still wasn't sharing with Steve, what my story was. I could write it down, but I couldn't talk about it. Were you ashamed? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's my brother. I mean, it's a family member. It's just really, it's really icky. And I just, God keeps telling me, no, this is your thing. And I keep saying, no, God, can't I talk about grief? Grief? He says, no, abuse, sexual abuse. And I said, okay, fine. Sexual abuse. And God said, no, no, this kind of abuse. I said, no, I don't want this. But I'm shedding the layers. And as you shed the layers, the shame slowly comes off too. I'm not alone. And, and my, my sibling is not alone either. We are not the only people that have gone through this. I know is that. He, is he, I mean, not to, is there a level of, of shame on his end as well? You know, I haven't point blank asked him that question. This is very, I have a very unique situation with him. I've, reached out to him. I've been able to forgive him and he will answer any question I have because sometimes I'll say, I have this memory. Did this really happen? And he answers me honestly. And he tells me exactly how it started. He was not sexually abused. I asked him that. Okay. He was curious. He was a curious 12 year old. He's not a monster. Um, there probably is some level of shame, but I have not point blank asked him that we do talk maybe once every two months and we're slowly healing that relationship. It's still awkward. I think it always will be. Okay. Oh my God. Yeah. There are so many questions. Um, Well, my first question is, uh, okay. So the abuse obviously happened when you were six, you were very young. Yes. And you said it's, it happened for five, six years. Yeah, it went on and off for five or six years. Okay. And um, from about, let's say, 12 to adulthood, what was your relationship with your brother? Was it something that you kind of pushed down and didn't remember? Did you have a relationship with him? When I was about 12, I think that's when he went away to college. Got it. Okay. And that's when I started going to school and chasing boys and getting in trouble for kissing on the playground and needing to be affirmed by boys. So he was away at college. And I think that's what also makes special relationships difficult, brother, sister, cousin. I love my brother, and I don't want to harm him or his family. I don't want to harm my parents. I don't want to harm my other siblings who didn't know that this was happening. So we carry it all for the rest of the family as a, as a, as a survivor. We carry it for everyone else. Wow. And your situation is so unique because you do have some sort of communication you've forgiven in the sense that, well, I think, I think victims of sexual abuse in some sense can get to a point where they're forgiving their abuser, but not necessarily keeping in touch or keeping a relationship. You have a unique situation because you have dialogue with him. Um, I guess what I want to know is what, is it because he's your brother? Is that what makes you want to, or do you feel as though he was young too, didn't really know what he was doing, kind of just being a kid? He was young too. He didn't know what he was doing. He did not know the damage he was causing until later in life he realized, oh, maybe she wasn't sleeping through that. Maybe I did hurt her. Where our, where I'm, when he apologized to me, I was 21. And I was able to take that apology and put it in my back pocket and carry it with me and know 
he knows what he did. He's not denying what he did. He's not just going on with his life as though nothing happened, which is very common. A lot of people just deny, deny, deny. It didn't happen. You're a liar. You're a liar. But I had that in my back pocket. And I think that carried me a long way. And he recently said to me, I kind of wish I hadn't apologized to you because I apologized to you when I thought everything was fine and it was over. And now I come to find out that you were depressed and you were suicidal and maybe I shouldn't have apologized. And I had to explain to him, no, that was a gift that so many people don't get. It's the truth. Like they don't get that, that actual, I'm sorry. They have to learn to forgive um, and I guess let go on their own. Yeah. They don't have any affirmation. Right. And even parents just deny, deny, deny that didn't happen. He was just being curious. And I'm hoping that my family can be a beacon of hope that there can be hope and healing if you acknowledge it. Right. It has, yeah, it has to be acknowledged. Absolutely. And well, okay. So here's another question that I have. (laughs) What is his relationship with the rest of the family versus your, like, are you both close with the family? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just like every other family, we're a little fucked up mess. (laughs) (laughs) My father is deceased. My father passed away without knowing about an abortion I had. He passed away without knowing about the sexual abuse. My older brother was the golden child. So there was a period of time when my parents got divorced and my oldest brother didn't speak with my mom. Now I'm thinking we've all kind of come full circle. I had to come to my mom and say, mom, this happened. Right. She believed me. First of all, she believed me, which was huge. She didn't understand it. Yeah. She's like, how did I not know? How did this happen in my home? He was a rule follower, not this kid. How did this happen? She didn't understand it. And then she was on me. You have to forgive. You have to forgive. And I said, I don't have to do anything. I will forgive if and when I'm ready. Right. So then I forgave. And then she realized, oh, shoot. Now I've got my own journey. I've got to forgive myself. So she went on her own healing journey. So then she had to reach out to him and say, look, I know what happened. So there's that. He's on really good terms with my mom. And then my middle brother had to find out about all this a few years ago. And he's going, what, what? So it's, but we're coming full circle. We are healing. And then I had to reach out to his daughters and his wife and rebuild those relationships. Oh my God. What do they say about it? What are their, like, how old are his children? Okay. I'm a firm believer in God. And I, and I, I know that God has gotten me here to this point and I see God working in my family when I before I forgave my brother he has four daughters before I forgave him I put his whole family they all had to go away I had to just step away from all of them I was able to forgive him but I still had to keep everybody at arm's length at bay yes and maybe a year or two ago, my mom told me, she said, your nieces found your website. Just so you know, you should reach out to them. Shit. I thought it's not my job to reach out to them. He should talk to them. Right. I was still angry. And one of my nieces sent me a graduation announcement. And I thought, what do I do with this? And I sent her a gift and she sent me a card back. I'm going to get emotional. She sent me a card back and she said, you know, I was afraid to send this to you. I didn't want to bother you, but you'll always be family. Aww. And the fact that you responded to me means the world to me. Aww, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> uh, at that moment, I thought I need to end this because now it's going into the next generation. Right. It's affecting the next generation, those, those four beautiful girls. So I reached out to them and I've been building those relationships and they've been great but they understand that I have forgiven him and that he has apologized. That was important to them knowing, well, did he apologize? Did he, did he admit to it? And yes. And I I feel like that's another thing. I feel like 
it it's not like he is a, like a child predator present day or you know obviously as far as anybody knows his daughters are fine you know what i mean correct he's not doing anything to children he's not he was a kid himself and i and it's i guess i mean it's a abuse nonetheless and it affects you but as kids you're exploring and you're an idiot like kids are friggin' stupid sometimes <laughs> not to and and i'm not trying to dumb it down because it is serious stuff but it i mean it's not like as an adult that's what he grew in into i guess and i guess that he did not he is not a predator he is not a monster and 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 you've said what parents go through parents are faced with the dilemma is this normal normal childhood curiosity or or is this a problem and that's what that's what i'd like to get to the bottom of i i want parents to talk to their kids before it's curiosity before you're questioning whether it's a problem it's right. a, it, there's cousins that this happens with cousins too so yeah you kind of nailed that the People don't want, people can dumb it down. And I even dumbed it down. I was like, it's just, my, it was just, it was just innocent touching. It was just my brother. But deep down, it affects, it you. changed the trajectory of my life. Now I'm grateful for my life. I'm grateful for all my experiences. I, if you tell me to go pick up somebody's basket of shit, if I was going to pick up my basket of shit or someone else's, I'd still choose my basket. Right. Right. So. That, I mean, that, in and of itself is is an amazing thing. I feel the same way, you know, like with my basket of shit. I never heard of it referred to that, by the way, like that way. <laughs> I'm going to steal that. That's being stolen. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, it makes you who you are and it's made you who you are. It's given you faith, it seems. You know, you, I, I've seen on the website, you have a whole se- se- uh, section dedicated to faith and stuff like that. Um how did that happen by the way like how did this so you you had this anger um you became a topless dancer you were uh seeking validation from men and stuff like that you were angry how did you find you know like god spirituality right well for me i was raised in a christian home so i had that base and then I took a huge detour. <laughs> I mean, there was abortion, there was drugs, there was topless dancing. That's a pretty big detour off the Christian path. Yeah. And <laughs> I'd say. Then I, yeah, I met Mark and you know, religion wasn't at the top of my list nor his. We were just living our lives. And then he got sick and I started praying and once I started praying, I, I didn't, I didn't beg God to save Mark's life. I just had this sense that it was going to be okay. Mark may not live, but it was going to be okay. So I started depending on God through Mark's illness and I saw God through Mark's illness and I saw the goodness of people because I become very jaded and I thought people just suck, (laughs) but, (laughs) and they can, but you go through something like that and you really see wonderful qualities. And, and I started seeing the sun and the moon and, and, and snow and green grass. And when somebody cuts you off in traffic, I still get annoyed, but it was a little less annoyed or not to sweat the small stuff. So God was there. Then I started dating and I actually married Steve who is not religious at all. He's not atheist. He just is kind of flat. Right. And I thought, that's fine. I can handle this. So we get married and we have kids with the agreement that I would take the kids to, to church. Through my marriage to Steve, I hit a deep, deep depression. And I went through my old habit of trying to sabotage relationships. And I tried to sabotage my marriage and I tried to push him away. I, I, was, gonna, I was going to divorce him. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's, yeah, we were in marriage counseling and I was just done because I, anything to sabotage this, this marriage, anything to not deal with my own issues. I didn't know it at the time. Looking back, I can see it that way. Now, Steve's not perfect. Just so you know, he's not perfect. Takes two. (laughs) I was praying to God and I was desperate. I said, I can't do this. I want a divorce. And I heard God say no. I heard him say no. And I said, fine. (laughs) I surrender. 
I give you this marriage. It is yours. I can't do it. So at that point, I started praying every single morning for 10 or 15 minutes to this day. I get up every morning and I spend 10 or 15 minutes to God and I lean on him and I rely on him and surrender everything to him on a daily basis. I feel like, I feel like that is like your, okay, because I'm not, I'm more in the Steve camp where I'm not (laughs) religious at all, but I am spiritual. Um, Yes. I think people can have a different relationship. Right. Right. And the meditate, like that's like your meditation where you kind of center and you find God, you find that within you and it helps you get through the day. That makes a lot of sense. And I feel, and now listening to your story, it feels as though like, I don't believe in coincidences, you know, I feel as though, do you feel as though Mark was kind of put in your path to bring you to that? Because that's what it yes. sounds like to me. Yes. And, and Steve was brought to me to help me heal. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Steve, okay. yeah. you obviously, you're still married. Yes. Um, what was that like, I guess, fix, well, the self-sabotage, I've seen that in so many women that I've dated pretty much every woman that I've dated because every single woman that I've dated has had some sort of uh, abuse trauma, whether it was abuse from the father or sexual abuse or all of the above. First, before I ask how it went saving your marriage, why the hell does that happen? I don't know. I mean, I, cause looking back, I can see it. And I, even with Mark towards before he was diagnosed, I was starting to push him away. Right. I, for me, I can say that I think I didn't want to be known. I didn't want anyone to know what, what had gone on as a child. I didn't want to be discovered. It sounds so cliche and you read it all the time. You just, you don't want to be known. I did not want to be known. I was hiding and it was easier to push them away than to truly, truly be known. Like to, to, when you say be known, you mean like, um, the, every facet of you, like even the, the facet of you that was abused. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. I've never, honestly, I've never heard that before. I've never heard that reasoning. I mean, it makes sense because when somebody else, when you have to show somebody else that you have to face that yourself and Probably. Yeah, maybe I maybe I just I wasn't yeah, I can't share it with someone else if I, I haven't looked at it. Right, right. And it's easy. Maybe we'll just maybe we'll figure all this out here right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll figure it out. Well, I guess I I mean I guess going through my past relationships with women that I know have been um abused, um it was the same thing pushing and I was, and I'm always that, that partner that wants to that like not to compare myself to Jesus. I'm going to sound like a narcissist, but like, I want to save, you know, I want to be there and be the safe place. And a lot of women look at that, the good, the good people. Um, and they're like, what the fuck do you want from me? <laughs> you know, like, was there skepticism too with like the good men in your life? Yeah. Um, I, Mark had to fight hard to, to, to get me. I had been burned so many times and Mark was the first person. I let all my walls down and he loved me, but then he died. Right. right. So then I'm like, you abandoned me, but I became more open with Steve, but I still had that, that, that wall built up. Now I'm going to open up a whole new, whole new chapter here. Open it, girl. Open it. <laughs> so when I hit my low point, I, I had a moment on the bottom of our stairs here at the home. And I knew, I said, I have got to unturn everything inside of me. I've got to figure out what is wrong with me. At that point, I'd lowered the antidepressants. I was doing well. But then I discovered something in my marriage and I hit bottom. What I discovered doesn't sound like a big deal to a lot of people. I discovered that my husband was watching pornography. 
Okay. But I can't be intimate. So I thought, well, you're watching pornography. I can't be intimate. I'm a failure as a mom. I'm a failure as a wife. And I hit bottom. And I approached him about the pornography and he stopped. He quit watching it. Steve's, a, Steve's my biggest cheerleader. <laughs> he no, really is. Honestly, he sounds he's, like it. He's a saint. <laughs> Poor guy. But he loves me no matter what. And he supports all of my endeavors. So at that point, I decided I need to write. I just, I just have this drive. I need to write my story down. I need to figure it out. And it's then that I could put it down on paper and I could rearrange it. And I saw the puzzle pieces and I understood why my life was out of order. Oh, I knew about sex too young. I was a widow at 34, depression. It's too, then I could rearrange it. And it was at that point I started writing and someone expressed interest in my story. And I was starting to write it for Steve because I could still write it but not speak it. But someone expressed interest in my story. And so Steve became my business partner. I needed him on the phone. I needed him to hire a lawyer. And so I'm spilling my story out on the phone. And Steve's in the room with me. And he's hearing some of this stuff for the first time. He's in the corner typing way. Type, 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 type. I was there. You know, not hearing things for the first time. How did that and that's how I, my walls came down. That's how I showed my, my true story, my whole self to Steve. And we would get off the phone and he would say, I didn't know that. Oh. I didn't know that. And I said, I didn't tell you anything. Right, right. So that's how I became, I was forced to become truly known with Steve. I was forced into it because I had an opportunity. It didn't, it didn't pan out, which is fine because it, it really brought Steve and I closer. And I say it healed my marriage. Right. So I was, I was forced I was to be known. That, I was going to say, did that is that what did it? You know, the the opening up, letting the floodgates kind of just open. Yes, and there's still things he doesn't know. As I write, I pass him a chapter, and he's editing my chapters. And he'll say, I'll have to give him a warning. I'll say, um, there's some new news in here, and it's not normal for a husband to be reading about his wife's sexual history. Right. He doesn't want to know. Right. Who wants to know that? He's like, I don't want to know what number I am. I really don't want to know. <laughs> Can I skip this chapter? But he's 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 in it. He's able to be objective, and that's amazing. Well, first of all, the fact that you guys can be business partners and he can be there for you on the business end of it—it's kind of like he had to, like the business aspect brought you together romantically and emotionally. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not healed. I still intimacy, uh, creates a lot of anxiety, but I look back how far we've come and I think, okay, well maybe there's, maybe there's hope. I'm still healing. There's no finish line. Right now. Okay. Going back to what you said before you were saying, um, you, you couldn't be intimate. Um, and so because of that, he was engaging in, in pornography. Yeah. And, and that, um, and, and that I don't have at the time I took it personally. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. So sorry. No, 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 no. Go off. Sorry, Tori. No, no, no. Do not apologize. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Um, like, that's what, what it was. Um, yes. Because for me, I saw pornography as those are my people. A lot of those women have been sexually abused or sex trafficked. And so I, it was personal to me, but I understood I thought, I can't be intimate with you. You're human. So I was really in a, in a tough place. Right. And he, I wasn't sure. I couldn't demand that he quit watching pornography, but he offered up. He said, I'll stop. And he did. I don't think all pornography is bad, but, you know, when it comes to sex trafficking and, and is somebody willingly doing it or not willingly doing it. But for a while there, I just went on this tangent about anti-pornography and I realized, no, that's, that's not, that's not my that's not my thing. My thing is I need to stay in my lane. <laughs> Which I mean, is child on child sexual abuse. And and okay, so I've when, okay, so when you say you have trouble with intimacy, is it the vulnerability part because I'm telling you talking to to Suzanne, talking to you and I've kind of, I've kind of thought this 
like going through my 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 life and my sexual partners and stuff like that like thinking like was i did something happen to me as a kid because i feel the same way at times with sexual partners where it's hard to kind of be be vulnerable that's kind of what you're saying right like it's hard to be vulnerable in 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 the bedroom with somebody yes this I'll try and describe it this way. Okay. Sex for me was a transaction. It was, if you want to sleep with me, then I must be pretty. If you want to sleep with me, you must love me. Right. And I with and I wouldn't make eye contact. And my Steve, the current husband, yeah. he always thought that was strange. He would say, you know, you were always like a, a male in the bedroom. You know, just kind of make it happen and, and be done with it. No cuddling, no eye contact. Like no making so, love. You're right. Okay. So I, to this day, am I capable of making love? I don't know because I, once the memories came back, I really, I, I struggle with touch. It, it, the best way I can describe it when I'm, when I'm touched, I'll jump. And I just, I feel it go through my skin, go through my body. Um, so I remain hopeful. I remain hopeful that I can get through that, but when you say touched, do you mean like even hugged? Yes. Even I'm hugged. getting better about hugs. I can hug the kids because they're not threatening. Got it. Okay. But and I'm getting better. I, I'm getting better. As as my husband and I get closer, I, I hugs and kisses, holding hands. That's where we're at. Wow. So it it affects your affection in a relationship. Oh my God. Okay. So maybe I wasn't touched as a child because I'm <laughs> just very affectionate. I'm, I'm just a very affectionate human. I'm like hugging strangers, you know, I get, I get like stopped such a side note, but I get stopped. <laughs> you know, people recognize me from TikTok, and I'm yeah. like, can I, can I hug you? But for you, you're saying like, you wouldn't, that wouldn't be some, you can't hug I want to hug. And I thought I was a good hugger, but two people called me out on it. They said, man, you need to learn how to hug. And I was like, but I'm, I'm hugging. And, and someone said, but it's like hugging a stick figure. I thought, but, but I want to hug. I want to, <laughs> I want to be good at this. I do. I, I, I do. And, and for you, honestly, you are one of those people. You just walked on the street. You're, you're a people collector. I do. People I just, people just want to get, get, you're just, you are warm and you, you just, you. you draw people in. Thank you. You do. I would let you hug me. I might feel like a stick figure, yeah. but I'd let you hug me. I would give you the best hug. Seriously. You wouldn't even have to hug back. You could just literally like put your <laughs> arms to the side. I'll do all the work. <laughs> That's literally like I'd hug a tree, you know, like, yeah, I, I, but I think, you go. I think you are like a lot. I think we all question when we can't, be vulnerable was I was did something happen to me as a kid I mean I think that's right. it. we're all we're all so connected on so many levels I think there there are weird like I remember weird things happening as a kid you know like um with kids that I would play house with and stuff like that like yes. weird things kids do I just remember yes. doing weird shit you know that could kids are curious they right. are it's right. just when it goes over the line and it's usually, it usually goes over the line when a child is, you always have to be careful if a child's three years older than the younger child. It's Got a it. bit, there's a big age difference, but there, there is, there is normal curiosity. Right. And those things happened with me as well. And those were, your body knows your, your body, you, you have those instincts for a reason. Did you, now we're going really back, but you said um, in the beginning of this, that you were um consensual to some degree because you said your body had the bio like at that age you don't you're not putting those lines to you know together so your body's having a natural it's aroused in some way yes um did you feel looking back because it was consensual that it wasn't considered abuse yes okay so you just kind of put it off. That was another thing that kind of made you put it off. Yeah. But was it, 
was it that, okay, you put it off and kind of wrote it off as, well, I partook, but you were angry as well simultaneously? Something inside me, the shame inside of me knew something wasn't right. Right. He never threatened me. He never hurt me. He never harmed me. There was even a point where I started to say something to my mom. She doesn't recall this conversation. The only person who recalls it is, is my sibling. I was starting to say something about something going on. And my mom said, oh, you know, kids will be curious. Right. So I was oblivious. And it came to a point where I would seek him out for the attention. My body wanted more touch. I would seek him out. And I would partake in hiding the fact there was a time I recall we were in the basement and someone came home and we ran. So I became very much a part of it. So that, that, that was a huge hurdle in my healing process, admitting that my body liked the touch, admitting that I feel like I see, I even have still trouble. I was saying it today, admitting that I sought him out, admitting that I liked the attention. Those were huge hurdles and learning how to say incest and molestation out loud. Those were the biggest hurdles in my healing. It it seems as though, and this is me just kind of, I'm like, you tell me if I'm right or not, but it seems as though the word is hard. The incest is hard for you to say. It is hard. I think part of the reason it's hard for me to say is I don't want people to assume that there was actual intercourse. There, right. there can be an incest. I'm, I feel very fortunate that that did not happen. So for me, I think that that's hard to say. And my brother, it's just, that's just, nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about this kind of sexual abuse because it is so grotesque. Right. And, and I think a lot of the times society, again, before speaking to Suzanne, when I thought of incest, I thought two consenting adults who are like brother and sister, cousins who are, have an attraction toward one another and want to engage in sexual activity. Not ever did I think of, you know, um, child on child, um, like I didn't, I, I didn't put sexual abuse to it, if that makes sense. It does. It makes sense. And like, I've even seen debates on YouTube of people, um, saying that like incest is, is morally okay because a lot of people have this misconception that, it's two consenting adults or, you know what I mean? But it's not, right. it's not that at all. It's a lot of the times, I mean, you could probably tell me, Suzanne could probably tell me a lot of the times I would assume it's even when you are consenting, like in your case, you were consenting. It was uh, not that you were being manipulated. What am I trying to say? <sighs> that you were, you kind of made yourself believe that, 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 that you enjoyed it, I guess, if that makes sense. Or maybe you, there, you really did enjoy it because you were so young. I was young. Right. Yeah. I, I did enjoy the touch and I had an absent father. I say absent. He, he did not know what to do with a, a, a girl and I was a third born. He didn't want a third child. He was not absent. He gave me everything he was capable of. Um, so the male attention, and at six years old, my body was turned on. I was hypersexualized, so I did. I didn't really understand. I don't. You can't consent at age six. Right, right. Because you. What did I? What the hell? Like I'm trying to think of what I was doing at age six. Like I was eating mud pies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> like you don't know what the hell is going on at age. I'm thinking of like. I have nieces that are five. So around this, like my, it just, my five-year-old nieces wouldn't know what the hell to do. And even I've noticed, you know, I have a nephew who's just born his quarantine baby. So he's <laughs> seven months old. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. And to your nephew. Right. And my, and my two nieces, they're five, they're twins. And I've, I even notice when I'm, um, changing my nephew one of my nieces is very curious and she'll come and like look at his you know his stuff and I have to tell her you know like give him privacy you have (laughs) yeah you know but that's good though I mean she has a brother to well I say that but that's how my brother discovered me so 
that's that's I think that's where this this is so tricky for parents. It is. That's why we need to talk to our our kids and let them know because my sibling is a rule follower. Had someone sat down and said, "You don't touch another person from their bathing suit. You don't do that." Right. That wouldn't have happened. This this sibling is a rule follower. They're a good kid. It wouldn't have happened. And if you'd sat me down and said, "If somebody touches you here, tell me," would I have told? I honestly don't know. I I. I don't know. I, I hope I would have, but I don't know. But ap- if after the fact, after it already happened and I already felt the shame and I already felt part of it, mm. I wouldn't have. I didn't want to get anybody in trouble. Well, that, and I, I think you just now touched on a really good point. I feel like a lot of the times the, the conversation um, is to the potential victim in this situation where you t- you sit down a child and say nobody should be touching you in this area you know right but we never think to have the conversation with the potential um i don't i don't what what would you i don't want to say predator i don't want to say a right user but the potential um uh not even aggressor abuse potential abuser uh, yeah i mean instigator Instigator. We'll go against instigator. Right. That's right. Because I don't <laughs> want to put the negative connotation to it. Right. Um, in this case, you know, your brother's not, like you said, he's not a monster. So, we, you know, but we never think to have the conversation with a potential instigator where you, you can sit down a child and say, listen, if you're curious, it's not okay to just arbitrarily randomly touch somebody anybody in their no no you know in their that zone right um with without consent if like you know what i mean at all i mean well first of all for you was it did it start non-consensually absolutely i don't know how i i can tell you how it started i i point blank asked him, how, how did this start? Were you sexually abused? And he said, no, he was a curious 12 year old boy. What happened was we were watching TV and my mom said, okay, kids, it's time to get ready for bed. I'm six. I hop out of bed and I get dressed right there in front of him. And he instantly thought I need more information and decided at that point he was going to get me alone. And he got me alone. He would babysit for, he'd babysit me he got me alone and then his body reacted the way it's supposed to. And his body wanted more and my body wanted more. Um, it was a back in a day and age where hopefully now parents are talking to their children more back in that day and age. People didn't talk about sex right. or masturbation or anything. So all hands off. Right, answer right. your question. I think I lost, I think it went off the rails. No, no, this <laughs> um, you're, you're explaining it perfectly. Um, I mean, I just feel like there's so much that even, I mean, going back, back in the day, nobody talked about it, but even now there's so much that just from talking to you and talking to Suzanne, just two people I've learned so like, even in, in today's day, we don't talk enough about it. We don't know enough about this sort of stuff, you know, we don't. And, um, I, like just now talking to you had the revelation of like, wait, we got to talk to the potential uh, instigators too. I'm going to call them instigators now. That's okay. just what I'm going to call them. <laughs> it works. Right. Um, because we don't realize that as kids, when it's child on child, and this is common, child on child, very common. Very common. Very common. Is it more, I don't know the statistics. Is it more common than like adult on child? It is. They say it, they say sexual abuse, child on child is 35%. Child on child is more prevalent than a father, daughter, incestual relationship, according to the statistics that we know about. Wow. So a lot of the times it's like an older cousin, older sibling or yes, whatever it is. They wow. say children between the ages of eight to 14 are the most dangerous 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 as far as acting out on this and then you think about you know the availability of pornography 
So they're seeing things happening on the screen and you're eight. And if you're watching that on the screen, you're not able to discern that, okay, that's, that's, that is a human being on the screen. You don't reenact that. So I am concerned about that regard with pornography and children. They say with pornography that the rates are going up. Whoa. And and I mean, now it's so accessible too. Yeah. It's so easy to get to. It's really, all you got to know is a couple of websites and there's no paywall. There's no, you don't need a credit card. (laughs) Right. Or a couple terms, search a couple terms. That's it. Oh my God. So pornography being accessible. I mean, here's the thing. I remember when I was a kid, uh, my father, I'm going to put his shit out there, (laughs) (laughs) but um, he was very into pornography and he would have the illegal boxes. And I remember a few times my older sister would walk in the room, in the living room, and my father would be sleeping on the couch left the pornography up you know and yeah. like creeped and it freaked her the fuck out to say the least um and i remember my cousins coming over and us you know channel 37 was like the porn channel and like we discovered it and we locked ourselves in my room and like watched porn at you yeah. know, young age um so i remember all of that stuff and like the effect that it does have on you and so you're saying yeah. That now, because it's even more accessible to kids, that it's actually, um, it's 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 bringing on more sexual abuse or, I guess, ex- exploration. Yes, yes. There's a there's a website, the Mama Bear Effect. I can get you the link. She's got all kinds of information and and helpful materials. And I've got a whole list of children's books to read to your kids. But yeah, I mean, I. Pornography used to be hard to get to. I mean, I used to, I had a friend, we would sneak into her parents' house, we'd thumb through their magazines, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's, I think that's all in the normal range. This is, that's crazy. And now also you have the, um, the non-consensual porn, revenge porn. And right. That stuff that, that, I mean, that's a whole nother, <laughs> a whole other story topic in and of itself. Right. But, I mean, that's your next podcast territory, (laughs) right? Right. Revenge porn podcast. We could do a whole, like a whole episode about that. Um, that's nuts. I, I didn't know that. Is it, is it like when, when the kids are doing this with each other, would it be considered abuse still? I mean, it's still abuse, right? They say it's abuse, particularly when there's a three-year age gap, when there's, when there's a child who's much older than the younger child. Okay. They say that's abuse. Okay. And it's like the, even the older kid doesn't realize, I'm sure, what they're doing. They don't understand the damage that they're causing. Are you, are you still like in therapy to this day? I am not. You aren't. <laughs> I am not. I'm pretty sure I put my therapist, three children, through college uh, <laughs> between marriage counseling and my counseling. Honestly, what worked for me, I started. I was in therapy, and I started feeling like you're you're taking my time. Right. What really hit me was I was in therapy, and my marriage issues. I said, "Look, let's just let's just dump this. Let's just work on this together because this isn't helping." And I started seeing a, a female therapist on my own. And at one point I told her I was starting to write and I was going to do a blog and I was going to go public. And she said to me, after talking to another therapist, we're very concerned about you going public with your story, because what if one of your children's friends, moms comes across it and then your children get teased? What? I, yeah, I listened to my instincts and I said, no, I need to write. I just need to write it down. So I started writing and I quit drinking and I'm off antidepressants and wow, that's what's working for me. And I will say, if you're a sexual abuse survivor and you haven't started writing, if you want to start writing, just set a timer for three minutes and just start small because it is very triggering. It, it, it takes you back. But yeah, that's what's working for me. Did writing, okay, because I, I am currently in therapy to this day. Um, 
And for me, like it, it has helped for sure. Yes. And my therapist is always telling me, like, always write, you know, journal, write your feelings down. Um, even if you don't know what the fuck you're feeling, yes, whatever, do it. Right. Did you find that like your process was the same way where you're like, what the fuck am I doing this for? And then all of a yes. sudden it would just flood out. Yes. And I have, there's, there's books, uh, I think Anne Lamont and or even Brene Brown talks about the shitty first draft. You just, if I just write, sometimes I just, I just don't let the pen stop. Even if I write blah, 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 blah. I don't know what the hell to write. What am I going to do? And then sometimes it starts flowing. Writing is incredibly therapeutic. Yeah. I, I highly recommend it. I, I really do. And I, I'm not saying that you need to go back and read it in a couple of years. Some people do. I haven't had time to do that. Um, it's just what is working for me. Right. And I feel like that's another thing too, that people need to understand that one person's story isn't yours, you know, and, and Correct. that's like why I want to have so many different stories on the podcast, especially pertaining to sexual abuse and stuff like that. Because just even going from Suzanne's story to your story, very different, very different, very different processes, very different um, instigators, if we could, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to stay using that word. Um, and I feel like a lot of people need to realize that what works for one may not work for another, you know? Absolutely. I am not here. I'm here to share my story in hopes that it resonates with someone. You don't have to go through sexual abuse to resonate with a part of my story. I think that we can all be connected. And if it resonates with someone on some level, great. But I am not a therapist. I am not here to tell you how to heal. I'm still healing. And I'm also not here to tell you, you have to forgive to heal. I think forgiveness Grief, for one, is like a fingerprint. It's very individual. And I think forgiveness is very individual. I think it's like an individual fingerprint. What can be forgiveness for one person might be something different for someone else. Like I had a friend who wrote a memoir and I read the end of it. She talked about how she wasn't able to forgive. And I reread the paragraph and I said, I think you did forgive. Just maybe not by the quote unquote definition of forgiveness. That, uh, We're all in a journey of our own. Right, right. I mean, your story, um, I feel like even I can connect to because, well, I mean, because I know the weird shit that happened to me when, when I was a kid and things that would happen. But also, you know, I've dealt with um, abuse from from partners and stuff like that. And... I know how that journey can kind of bring you to spirituality and, and, and faith and stuff like that. And, and like you said, just because this specific thing hasn't happened to somebody doesn't mean that they can't get something out of it. You know, I feel like your story is going to, people are going to watch this and be like, wow, like I, I just, I don't know. I just have a feeling very strong feeling. <laughs> well, I do hope I, I, I feel very fortunate to have so many experiences and even I've listened to your podcast and I listened to you uh, talked about, about mama Jill Wallace and, and Ryan and just talking about the body issues. Yes. I can, I, I don't, I didn't like my body and I, I wasn't living an authentic life. I wasn't true to who I am. It's very different. I'm not, I'm not coming out, but I had to kind of come out. It's very different, very different, but I had to, I don't, I didn't love my body and I had to reconnect my body and people thought I was one way. They would say, Oh, you're always so happy. You're this or you're that. And I'm in the classroom helping the kids with their art project thinking you have no idea. I was just screaming in the car. I want to die. I want to die. I'm a liar. I'm a walking liar. Right. So I think we can all relate on, on some level. I hope. Absolutely. Absolutely. We can. Yeah. I think that's also huge too is is um what you see isn't always what's going on on the inside. I mean, I'm a fucking walking liar too, you know. I'm out here smiling. I mean, I'm happy overall. My disposition is very happy, but there are days where I'm crying on the inside and sometimes crying like literally crying and then turning on a camera and like smiling, you know, for the camera. So it's like 
those are the people you gotta i always say that those are the people you gotta like look out for the most the ones that are always smiling because <laughs> we're always busy i was always busy always moving always exercising and people would say you're so healthy i'm like no i'm trying to outrun my past right it doesn't work by the way <laughs> no it doesn't you have to and i think that's if there's anything that i want people to get to take away from every single friggin' episode um it's that we have to face our shit we can't run away we have to stop running away from our traumas and how it's shaped us and stuff like that we have to face it because in facing it it's like that dragon we have to kind of slay it and then put your friggin your foot on it and you conquered it you know move on to the next quest in life that's that's why yeah you're here that's why i'm here you know but there's a great quote. I actually wrote it down. It's by Dinty W. Moore. He's a writer and it says more people have been harmed by secrets and concealment than by candor and revelation. Because a lot that. of people don't want me coming out with my story. They, they worry about my family and I, I just, I have to, more people are being hurt by the secrecies. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's, it is essentially you, you said before, you know, I'm not, coming out of the closet but i feel like it is in in a way coming out of the closet coming out of your own we all have closets that we got it's different though because society i think society handles closets differently different closets (laughs) different ways (laughs) honestly i feel like nowadays it's more acceptable to be gay than it is to have ever been sexually abused or come out and speak out against your abuser or and speak your story i feel like Uh victims are more um looked at in a negative way than in gay people now you know well that's that's progress then that's great i mean for gay at least yeah but now we gotta now we gotta make sure that we're all on the same playing field and make sure that victims can come out and tell their story and feel comfortable doing that you know and i think what you're doing is amazing with the blog and just telling your story. It's, it's, it's really an incredible thing. Um, I didn't want to, I just feel honestly that God is saying you have, this is your thing. You got to talk. And I told my parents, my dad is deceased. I told my mom, I said, if I don't come forward and talk about it, then I'm disobeying God. There you go. that's, That's your, that's your thing. You know it, you know, you feel it within, you know, you feel that. And that that's something you can't, um, you can't escape it, you know, whether you want it or not. It's tried. Right. (laughs) Right. I tried. And God will always, when you're trying to escape your shit, God, God says, okay, hold my beer. I'm going to give you a situation you can't escape now. You know? Yeah. That's what he, that's what it, what happens. It's, that's what happens when you run away from your shit. God says, the universe, whatever you believe in says, okay, well, I'm going to give you a situation (laughs) that you can't run away from. And here we are, you know? Yeah. And I feel like he's given me the tools and the support to get through it. And Steve is one of, Steve is a big cheerleader of mine. And you're, and I think you have to understand that you're giving other people with your platform and, and your story tools that they can use, you know? Um, I hope you understand that. I hope you know. That. I hope so. I, I, I feel like God gave me this story for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's it. I I feel that way with my, like my narcissistic abuse that I went through, you know, with my ex and stuff like that, that I feel like I went through that as tough as it was to be able to have the insights and the emotional kind of um intelligence to help somebody else who's going through a similar situation you know you have a very high emotional intelligence you really do thank you you do tori i a very very high eq thank you thank you now what now in closing because i know i've taken up a lot of your time what is the final thing that you would tell somebody who's gone like What's one thing you want somebody out there to know um, that you haven't said? I 
I, I, first of all, if you've gone through sexual abuse or incest, you are not alone. Um, if someone comes to you about sexual abuse, please believe them. That can go so far in the healing process. And if you have gone through sexual abuse, I, I, I pray that you can find the courage to come forward because it's really shedding the layers. You are, you are carrying a shame that is not yours to carry. Just let, you know, take it off. Right. Um, share your story somewhere, somehow. There are lots of platforms to share your story. And uh, I can get, you know, like Voice for Innocent, they, they take stories and it'll, you'll just get more and more used to it. The more you say it, the more you tell it, it, it loses its power. And, and let's, let's bring this out of the darkness and into the light. Yes. Oh my God. You're amazing. I freaking love you. I got to say, I love you. <laughs> I, I love you. I think you are so funny. I think you are such a warm human being and Thank I can't you. wait to see where you go with this podcast. Thank you so much. You are Thank such you. a good people person. Oh, thank you. I, and I honestly, I love your energy. I really do. Even like via the text, I'm like, oh, I, I love her. So thank you. I had to try and be cool. I'm 52. You're 30 and hip. I thought, okay, I can't be too prim and proper. I'm such an old, old person. <laughs> I don't feel change hip, my I'm spiel. Telling. After we get off of this, I'm going to tell you how hip I am. I'm literally probably going to put on Harry Potter and like geek out on my bed, you know? So <laughs> Um, it's, it's all a facade, I promise, <laughs> but thank you. Seriously. Thank you so much. And thank you for everything you do. And I would thank love, you, Tori. To, I'd love to have you on anytime you text me. Anytime. Thank you. And we'll, thank you for having me on your show. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. I will talk to you and I'll let you know when this drops. Okay. okay sounds good. All right. Bye. Okay. Have a good day. Bye. You too.